Janet and Jean Russell were going through a season of great darkness in their lives. They'd been married for 30 years, and for 20 of those years, they'd owned and operated their own small business, a firm that supplied parts and equipment to uh, local manufacturing companies. And their business made a profit for several years, a modest profit, but then things began to go sour. First, their largest customer closed up their factory. And then another large customer transferred their business to a competitor. And it seemed then that it was just one thing after another. More and more bad news. And after fighting for three years to keep things going, the Russells lost their business. Now in the community where they lived, professional level employment was rather scarce, so Jean found a job working nights at the local 7-Eleven. Janet got some work as an office temp. So they had money coming in, but unfortunately it wasn't close to what they'd earned before, so it wasn't nearly enough to cover all their bills. So they fell behind on things, and eventually the bank foreclosed on their home. And they moved into an apartment. It was a very dramatic and painful change from what they'd known before. And in the midst of this season of failure and disappointment and loss, both of their fathers died. It was a very dark time. The only thing that kept them going was their faith. Every morning they read a Bible passage together and prayed together. And then one December morning, as they entered into the Christmas season, their daily devotional guide for Christmas led them to a passage in the book of Isaiah. It was a reading that began in The book of Isaiah, chapter 8, verses 21 to 22. And as the Russells read their Bible, here's what they encountered. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Merry Christmas. (laughs) What a gloomy picture. And it sure doesn't sound much like the Christmas story, does it? Yet, it's the prequel. You see, right on the heels of this picture of despair, Isaiah is going to foretell the coming of the very first Christmas. And he's painting a picture of what happens in humanity time and time again. We get into this cycle where we humans mess things up. And we find ourselves in darkness. And then God steps in. And he brings his light into our lives and into his world. And in this case, Isaiah describes a season of darkness when the people of Israel will feel disconnected from God. And they will be hungry and tired and oppressed. And in their distress, they will blame God. When Janet and Jean Russell read these words, Janet said, I felt like the Bible was describing us. We weren't as bad off as the ancient Israelites, but all we could see was darkness. And we wondered, where's God? Where is God in the midst of our pain? 
And if we're honest, there are times when we all can feel this way. And our experiences will be different than what the Russells went through. Our experiences will be different than what the Israelites went through. And yet, whatever the cause, there are seasons in life when you and I can feel hopeless. When we're spiritually adrift. When we've experienced tragedy or brokenness. When we are oppressed by other people or oppressed by circumstances, life can seem very dark. And in those moments, it's natural to ask, where is God? And God answers that question by speaking through his prophet Isaiah. God wants us to know that he's aware of the darkness that we face. And in those dark moments, he wants to offer us his light. His light of joy, his light of hope. And so Isaiah's prophecy doesn't stop with these demoralizing words we just read. He goes on to describe how God's light will come into the world to lift people out of darkness. And these next words from Isaiah are words that the Russells desperately needed to hear. They're words that every generation needs to hear. They're words that we need to hear. Because God wants to bring you and me out of darkness and into light. And that's what Isaiah talks about next, starting in chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Look at this message of hope. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. So Israel tells the people, that the light of God is coming to wipe away the darkness. God wants to remove despair. He wants to remove gloom and replace it with joy and hope. And this is not just wishful thinking. This is reality. Isaiah wants people to know that they can have confidence in God now because of God's faithfulness in the past. And to drive home that point, he specifically reminds them of the historic defeat of Midian. And this was a miraculous military victory in Israel. A victory against overwhelming odds that set them free from an oppressive enemy. Isaiah is saying, God brought us out of darkness and into light then. Which means he can do it again and he will do it again. You see, with God, the past is a guarantee of the present and the future. And yet that's only true with God. When it comes to human beings and human institutions and human methods, that's not necessarily true. I remember when my wife and I opened our first retirement account and We sat down with the broker and he handed us this document called a prospectus. And the prospectus prospectus laid out all of the details of this fund where we were going to start to put away money and build some funds for retirement. And that prospectus 
uh, contained this particular disclaimer. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Some of you are familiar with how that works and you've seen that in a prospectus. And they have to say that because it's true. You see, when it comes to human beings or the things that we create, we never can fully count on the future based on the past. But with God, though, what He's done in the past gives us assurance for the future, and that's because He is faithful in ways that we are not. And He may not do things when we want. He may not do things how we want or in the way that we want, but He will not leave us to flounder in the darkness. And we can trust Him to bring His light into our lives now because He's done so in the past. Now here's a key point. Isaiah has reminded the Israelites of this key moment in their past. But he doesn't take them into the past so they camp out there. God never reminds us of the past so that we will dwell on it or get stuck in it or, or yearn nostalgically for all the things of the past. He reminds us of the past so that we have assurance and live with a sense of expectation about what God wants to do now. And particularly for those of us who are in the second half of life, I think this is a really vital issue to wrestle with. Do we spend most of our time looking back or do we spend most of our time looking forward? As I ponder this, I'm reminded of two older men that I knew at our last church and both of them were in their 70s. They'd been believers for decades and yet they had distinctly different views of life. And it seemed like John never could escape the past. That's all he talked about. He would talk about exciting spiritual moments in his life that had taken place decades earlier. And once he even said to me, all of my most significant spiritual joys are in the past. And it broke my heart when he said that. And then there was Ben. And Ben also talked about the past only to remind himself of God's faithfulness, to remind himself of those moments when God showed up, when things seemed so dark, and God turned those dark situations to light. And then Ben would focus on the present. Ben was always most excited, not about what God did in the past, but about what God was doing today. And so Ben, not John, is my role model for how to live as a follower of Jesus. Not looking back, but looking forward. The lessons of the past that we find time and again in the Bible remind us that God will meet His people in moments of darkness and He will bring us into His light and that always can give us hope and confidence for the future. And that's exactly what happened with Israel. A few years after this prophecy, the Assyrian Empire, which was one of their oppressive enemies, was destroyed. And then their ungodly king named Ahaz died and he was replaced by a new ruler called Hezekiah and he turned the nation back to God and to godliness. 
two dramatic changes that lifted the people from darkness and ushered in a season of light. A season when they were freed from physical and spiritual oppression. A season when young and old could rejoice at what God was doing then. Because God is always interested in the present. And yet there's more. With God there's always more. And so Isaiah's prophecy is going to continue. Because God is going to announce that His light is going to come again and it's going to invade the world now in a dramatic way. His light is going to come into the world through Jesus. And we see this in the next part of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah says, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fewer fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So as Isaiah speaks these words that God gives him to say, he now states that at some point in the future, date unknown, God, again, will dispel human darkness and replace it with His light. However, this light will be different. It won't be the light of economic prosperity. It won't be the light of military victory. It will be the light of truth and the light of spiritual wholeness. And it will be revealed through the birth of God's own Son. That birth which ushered in the very first Christmas. And Isaiah here describes this Son who is to come with four distinct titles. This son will be a wonderful counselor, which means if we learn to trust him and listen to him, he will give us the wisdom that we need to navigate life. He will be mighty God, which means God in human form. And this son also will be called Father, which is rather odd. It simply means that the son is the same kind of being as the Heavenly Father. Isaiah wants us to know that when Jesus walks the earth as God the Son, He will exhibit all of the characteristics of God the Father. And then Jesus will be the Prince of Peace. His goal is to come into our lives and into this world to dispel our darkness and to bring us into His light by giving us the gift of peace. The Prince of Peace wants to bring peace to people's minds and hearts and souls and lives. He wants to bring peace to broken relationships. He wants to bring peace between nations. And as Isaiah writes these words, he is speaking to a nation whose history has been one of warfare. And ancient Israel isn't alone. They're not unique in that regard because the history of mankind is one of warfare. And yet, amazingly, Isaiah prophesies that a day will come when soldiers will be able to burn their uniforms because those uniforms no longer will be needed. I know that some of you here have been in the midst of combat. You've been in the thick of it. And I know that some of you carry the physical or emotional scars, or maybe both, from what you've been through. 
And as I think about that, I think about this amazing message of hope that God gives. His desire is to bring this world to a point where no one ever has to go through that again. Because the Prince of Peace wants to bring about his peace. Now, because of human sin and imperfection, because there is evil in this world, we know that perfect peace never will be accomplished in this life. And yet, when people come together and make Jesus their priority and trust Him, then peace can become a reality because He is the Prince of Peace. And wherever, whenever, we help to establish peace through Jesus Christ, we help to bring a little bit more of God's light into this world. And yet darkness still exists. Because our world still is broken. Which means that God's work isn't finished. And Isaiah's prophecy is not yet perfectly fulfilled. And so he's going to continue and he wraps up this part of the prophecy by pointing us to a time beyond human history. He wants us to know that a time will come when God will establish his perfect peace and his light will transform this world forever. We see that in verse 7 of chapter 9. Isaiah says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It will happen. And it begins to come true some 700 years after Isaiah speaks these God-inspired words. Because it's after that lapse of time that Jesus is born. And at the age of 30, he begins his ministry and he proclaims the coming of the kingdom of God. The only kingdom that offers true peace and impartial justice. And Jesus started the process of building his kingdom during his life. Then he returned to heaven and he passed that responsibility on to his people, to his church. And in every generation he says to his church, now I want you to help build my kingdom. And that mission of building the kingdom will find its ultimate expression at the end of human history when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And that's when God's peace and God's rule never will end. He will establish an eternal kingdom. And then everyone who trusts in Jesus can enjoy the light of God forever. I hope that Isaiah's prophecy gives you hope. That's why God asked Isaiah to write down these words. Because this prophecy reminds us that in the past, God turned darkness to light. He did that in the past. He does it in the present. He's going to do it in the future. And this prophecy is here to give you and I hope each and every day. God gives us this prophecy to let us know that whenever we go to, through seasons of darkness, that God is there, ready to offer us His light. And when we trust Him, and when we listen to Him, he will bring his light into our lives. And his light comes through Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince 
of peace. So now let's turn our attention back to Janet and Jean Russell, that middle-aged couple that I mentioned earlier, that husband and wife who were going through a time of darkness and despair. They had lost so much, they were hurting, and they were reading these same words from Isaiah as part of their Christmas devotions. So they read, they pray, and they ponder. And they realized that in answer to that question they had, where is God? That all along, God had been answering. He had not abandoned them. And they think of the countless people in their church family who prayed for them. And those prayers sustained them mentally and emotionally and spiritually. As a result of prayer, Janet and Jean were able to experience God's peace, that peace that passes all understanding because it doesn't make any sense that we can feel at peace when the world around us is going down the tubes and our life is falling apart, and yet they had been at peace because God was there and he had not abandoned them. They remember when their life group took up a special offering to give them some money at a time when they literally had run out of cash and had nowhere else to turn. When their home was foreclosed on, their church family helped them organize a garage sale because they had to downsize and get rid of a lot of stuff in order to move into their new little apartment. And that garage sale also helped produce some much-needed cash. And then the church family helped them pack up, move into their new apartment. And on the day that they moved in, those dear friends made sure that the pantry was full and the refrigerator was full. God had not abandoned them. He was at work in and through his people. God was bringing light into their darkness. And now for the Russells, life is very different than it used to be. But they're out of debt, they're able to live within their means, and each day no longer feels like a desperate fight for survival. Yes, they deal with the reality of loss, the loss of their business and their home and their fathers. And they understandably grieve for those losses. And yet they learn from Isaiah's prophecy not to dwell on the past, not to camp out in the past. This prophecy reminds them to look forward and to always be looking for the ways that God wants to bring his light into our lives and into our dark world. Because that's where we find hope. And most importantly, Isaiah's prophecy reminded them that Jesus comes as the light of the world. He comes as the Son of God who one day will establish His throne, His justice, His righteousness, and His peace. And because they choose to trust in Jesus, the Russells are at peace and able to live each day with a sense of hope. Now each of us has a different experience. Each of us has a different story. And yet we all have seasons of darkness and we all need more of the light of Jesus in our lives. And here's what I'd like to suggest that we do in response to this prophecy from Isaiah. 
I'd like to suggest that a couple of times this week, we sit down and we reread these words. And as we read them, let's allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with wonder at the testimony of God's faithfulness in the past. To be filled with wonder at God's promises for the future. And then let's offer a very personal prayer. Let's ask, God, how do you want to bring your light into my life? And then let's go through our days with a sense of anticipation, looking to see what God might do. Looking to see how God might bring more of the light of Jesus into our minds and our hearts and our souls and our lives.